Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the privilege now of looking at your word. I pray that you would speak to us. As you've already spoken through music, now speak through your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gotten fooled? Maybe it was a telemarketer, and uh, you knew the product couldn't be that good, but they kept describing it and making it sound better and better and better, and you finally bought it. How many of you have ever been on a timeshare presentation? Yeah? And uh, I've been to about five of them. I finally quit. I just, I just can't do it. But, I mean, it sounds so good, and it probably is, uh, but it just can't afford it. But sometimes people get pulled in, and they get over their head in debt. Uh, maybe it was a used car salesman. Maybe it, you bought a house, and it was a fixer-upper, supposedly, and it turned out to be a money pit. Uh, we've probably all gotten fooled at one time or another in our lives. I remember shortly before Monique and I got married, went to a bridal show. How many of you have been to a bridal show? Okay. Yeah, Jeannie's been to a lot of them, right? And she's a bridal consultant, wedding planner. Okay. Anyway, um, we went to this bridal show and one of the things that was uh, being done there was a pots and pans demonstration. They were showing us these amazing pots and pans. They practically cooked by themselves, which would be helpful for me because I know nothing about cooking. They practically would clean themselves up, just rinse a little water and pour it out. It's done. And they made them sound so good. And they're thrown in a free trip to Disney World on top of it. You can buy these pots and pans for $500. It's a great bargain. And you get them at 50 at Walmart, I know. But uh, those ones at Walmart, they actually said this. They cause cancer, so don't get those. Get ours, okay? So I'm this guy. i got to take care of my wife and to be. And so we ended up buying them. We did not go to Disney World. About three months later, Southern Baptist Convention decided they're going to boycott Disney World that year. And so anyway, have you ever been fooled? It's easy to get fooled. Here in the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to a church where some of the members were being fooled. So he says in verse 8 and following, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception." according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he's the head over all rule and authority. Here in the book of Colossians, some of the members of the church were being fooled, deceived by legalism, trying to make themselves right with God by keeping human traditions, or by severe self-denial of the body, also known as asceticism. They're also encouraged to worship angels, and they're being told that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was simply not enough. They were being fooled, and Paul is addressing this deception when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. 
which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Greek philosophy, the physical body was considered to be morally corrupt or evil, but the spirit was considered to be good. It was unthinkable to believe that God would ever take on a human body. But when Jesus came to this earth, that's what God did. Jesus Christ, fully God, came to this earth as completely human. Fully God, yet fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, and in him, in Jesus Christ, you have been made complete. Listen, if you have Jesus Christ, you have enough. If you're single, you don't have to be married. If you're poor, you don't have to be rich. If you live in a small house, you don't have to live in a big house. If you drive an old car, you don't have to drive a new car. All of those things might be nice, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they do not define you, nor do they complete you. Your completeness is in Jesus Christ. But too many people are looking for answers in the wrong places. About 10 years ago, I was pastor in a small town, Cadiz, Kentucky, population 2,533 people. Salute, as they used to say on Hee-Haw. They didn't get that in the first service, Terry. Anyway, I was pastor of the church there, and the secretary was away from her desk, and somebody called. And I answered the phone, said, Cadiz Baptist Church, and the guy on the other end says, oh, blank, I called the wrong number. Listen, people are still calling the wrong numbers today. Some people are calling their drinking buddies. And some people are calling the psychic hotline. Some people are calling farmersonly.com, okay? Question, who are you calling? I recommend you call the one who spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. I recommend you call on the one who said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I recommend you call on the one who is able to do anything and can be everywhere at the same time. I recommend that you call upon the one who said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I recommend you call on Jesus Christ. Who are you calling? Verse 10, and in him, in Jesus Christ, you've been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. You serve the God. Think about it. Who knows everything. How many of you know somebody who knows everything? And you're married to them, right? Okay. That put up another hand, all right? Probably none of us, really. Absolutely none of us, right? They may think they know everything. They may act like they know everything. But they don't know everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know everything. How many of you know somebody who can be everywhere at the same time? Wouldn't that be nice? You can be over this meeting, go to that meeting, you can be this family, you can be at that family, you can go to your in-laws for Thanksgiving and to your parents' house for Thanksgiving. Well, some of you may not want to go to the in-laws, so it's a good excuse. But anyway, um, we can't be everywhere at the same time. And we don't know everything, and we can't do everything. But we have a God who can. We have a God who spoke to the sea. 
and said, peace be still, and it was. We have a God who raised the dead. We have a God who spoke this universe into existence, and he's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to trust him. He's calling you to be his instrument in this world for his glory. Why would you not want to call him? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. says, God has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and to his incomparably great power. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Why would you not want to call on him? Whose power are you dependent on? Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's the Jesus you're dependent on. That's the God who lives inside of you. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's greater than your circumstances. He's greater than your problems. He's greater than your challenges. He's greater than your needs. That doesn't mean he always fixes all the problems. Sometimes he has to take us out of the problems, okay? Sometimes he works through us in the problems. But he is God, is he not? And he loves you even more than a father loves his son. He loves you more than a mother loves his daughter. He loves you more than you have the capacity to love. Jesus Christ loves you, and he's calling you. Come on, why would you not want to depend on him? Hello, Earth to Billy, Earth to Mary, Earth to Susie, Earth to Matilda, Earth to Rufus, whatever your name is, why would you not want to depend on Jesus Christ, the ever-present one, the all-seeing one, the all-powerful one. He wants to help you. Back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him, that's in Jesus, you were also circumcised. Now, what in the world is circumcision, and why in the world does the Bible talk about it? Well, to be honest, in the Old Testament, circumcision was physical. The first Jew to be circumcised was Abraham, and was required of all the Jewish male infants. It was a sign before God to the Jews that they were his people. And it was a reminder by God of how God miraculously allowed Abraham and Sarah to have a child in their old age. But Paul's not talking about physical circumcision here. He's talking about spiritual circumcision. He's talking about a changing of the heart. This circumcision is a replacing of our old sinful ways with God's ways. It's God's work on the hearts and minds and lives of both male and female, both Jew and non-Jew. And it can only be done to those who turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But if you are willing by God's grace to turn from your sin, the Bible calls that repentance. If you're willing to repent, to turn from your sin, to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, and turn from your sin and place your faith in In Jesus Christ, he's offering new life. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering power for living today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Verse 11 continues. In him, that's in Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and the power of God. Who raised him from the dead. Baptism is a picture of what happened with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, do you know what they did with his body? They took his body and they buried it right in a tomb. Three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. It's also a picture of what happens in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, I want to be dead to sin. And I want to be alive to Christ. So what do we do with somebody when they die? We bury them, right? Baptism is a picture of that burial of our old life, our sin. And then we come up out of the water. It's a picture of new life in Christ. So baptism is a picture of what happened in the life of Jesus Christ and what happens in your life as well. And I always tell people that when you get baptized, it's a picture of what happened. It doesn't save you, but it's a picture of what happened in the life of Jesus and what's happening in your life as well. Now, you got to also understand this. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not make you a Christian. You can be baptized a thousand times and get nothing but wet and maybe a little bit of wrinkled skin. You can be baptized a thousand times and still be lost as a goose. You can be baptized and not know Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is a step of obedience to Jesus Christ, indicating that we are saved, that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, in the New Testament days, they did not have church buildings like we do. When they made a profession of faith, they didn't walk down an aisle, okay? What they did is they went to a lake or to a river probably, some kind of a body of water, and they got baptized, and that was their public profession of faith. So baptism does not save you. It's a step of obedience in following Jesus Christ. Now, I like to compare baptism to a wedding ring. How many of you here are married? Okay, if you're married, how many have on a wedding ring? Probably all of us, unless you forgot yours today, which I occasionally do. Um, But I want you to take your wedding ring real quickly and just pull it off for a second. You are now not married, right? Because you don't have a wedding ring on. That doesn't make you married or not married, does it? Question, can a single person walk into a jewelry store and buy a wedding ring and stick it on their finger? Does that mean they're married? That does not mean they're married. That just means they got a nice ring that costs them a lot of money, right? But every single wedding that I've ever been to, we exchange these rings. The rings do not make you married. It's a symbol that you are married. And so we're showing others that we are married. And so I wear my wedding ring every day because I want people to know I'm married. If I just decide not to wear it for about a month, Monique say, what's wrong with you? 
Yeah, I'd be, I'd be putting one on pretty quickly, right? Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Did you know there's a lot of dead people out there in the world? They're hanging out in bars. They're hanging out in tattoo parlors. They're hanging out at Walmart. I'll tell you a secret. Did you know they're even hanging out at the Chick-fil-A? They're hanging out in churches this morning. Did you know that? Dead people. Because according to the Bible, if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are spiritually dead. You may look alive to people around you. May, you may be physically very alive. But spiritually, apart from Christ, you're dead. You're a dead man walking. You're a dead woman walking. You're a dead person inside spiritually because you don't know Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he's calling you today to give your life to him, to follow him. He knows what he's doing, does he not? He loves you more than you have the capacity to love, does he not? He proved it by giving his life for you on a cross. And if he loved you that much... And he knows more than all of us put together times a billion. Why would we not want to follow him? Now, he doesn't say follow me and life will be easy. But he does say follow me. I know what I'm doing. Follow me. I'm worth following. Follow me. I love you. Follow me. I'll guide you. Follow me. It doesn't mean life will always make sense. But it does mean you follow the person who absolutely knows what he's doing all the time. Go to the end of verse 13. He, that's Jesus, forgave us all our sins. Not just some of our sins, but all. Say the word all with me. All of our sins. Isn't that incredible? Jesus Christ's death on the cross is payment for all of your sins. Some of you may say, Kevin, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've treated people. You don't know how I've acted. You don't know how I lived my life. No, I don't know how you lived your life. But Jesus knows. And Jesus says, I love you right where you are. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrate his love for you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth. And he died on the cross for you. He didn't say... Wait and get your act together. He didn't say, wait and come to church a thousand times first. Jesus didn't say, wait and try to get your life cleaned up. He said, come unto me just as you are. I'm calling you. Jesus Christ is calling people today to come home to him. And some of you perhaps know Christ. But if you're really honest, you're kind of living life your own way. You're kind of doing your own thing. Listen, that's a very bad way to live. It's a dangerous way to live. It's a destructive way to live. But following Jesus Christ is the best way to live. Listen, he created you. He designed you for living. He knows what he's doing. Trust in him and follow him. Verse 14. He, that's Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The words rendered written code means something written by the hand. It's a reference to the Old Testament law. 
The word's written code is also translated as the certificate of debt. Listen, you owed a debt. You could not pay. Jesus paid a debt, praise God, that he did not owe. He nailed your sins to the cross. Amen? You could not keep the law. You could not be good enough. Romans 3.23 says, for all, say the word all of me, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have sinned. You have sinned. Your mom has sinned. Your dad has sinned. Your grandparents have sinned. Every single person who ever walked the face of this planet other than Jesus Christ has sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. Romans 3.10 says there is none. Say the word none with me. None righteous, not even one. I can't be right with God by doing good deeds. I can only be right with God by the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross in his resurrection from the grave. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment for our sin is death. Separation from God ultimately in a place called hell. Listen, if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior who died for you and rose from the dead and you will not give your life to him as your Lord to follow him, you will one day go to a place called hell. And hell is worse than anything that you can ever begin to imagine in this life. But Jesus Christ is offering life, eternal life, abundant life for all who will give their lives to him. You could not keep the law, but here's the good news. Jesus took your place. He nailed your sin, your unpayable debt to the cross. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, a public spectacle of Satan and all the demons of hell triumphing over them by the cross. The picture is of conquered soldiers stripped of their clothes as well as their weapons. This was a total defeat. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that Jesus even paid a visit to Hades after his death on the cross, and he announced his triumph over Satan and death and the demons in hell. Listen, our ultimate enemy has been conquered. Neither death, nor the devil, nor all the forces of hell can ever destroy you if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 56 says, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 8 says, Nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor anything else in all of creation can ever separate you from the love of God that he has for you in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. In other words, don't be a legalist. Some of the Jews in Jesus' day were trying to make the Gentiles Jews before they could become Christians. Some churches today are more concerned about legalistic do's and don'ts 
than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's changing their lives moment by moment and day by day. Listen, following Jesus Christ is not simply keeping a list. It's not, well, okay, I read the Bible five minutes a day. Check that off. I was nice to Susie on Tuesday. Check that off. I went to church on Sunday. Check that off. I went to Sunday school to also double check for me. I'm right with God. That's not the idea. The idea is a personal relationship with God that's changing your lives. Got any married folks in the room? Okay. Think about it. Terry says Carol's married. Okay, I got you. What if your spouse treated you like this? Okay, I got my list. Mowed grass, done it. Did dishes, done it. Uh, Some of you think, well, that's an improvement from what I got already, right? But that's all they did was the list. They did the list, but they did not have the relationship with you. They don't want to spend time with you. They don't want to go on vacation with you. They don't want to ever give you a kiss. Yeah, I kissed Mary on Tuesday. You don't need another one for the next three weeks. That wouldn't cut it, would it? Some of you think, well, that's more than I'm getting now. Anyway, God is calling us to relationship. It's changing our lives. Yes, we want to do the dishes. Yes, we want to mow the grass. Yes, we want to do the honeymoon list. Not because it's just checking off the list, but because there's a relationship there, right? And with Jesus Christ, yes, we want to go to church. Yes, we want to read the Bible. Yes, we want to pray. Yes, we want to do all of these things and much more. Why? Because we love Jesus Christ. And we want to honor him and follow him. And sometimes it will not seem exciting. And sometimes you don't want to be there. And sometimes it doesn't feel like fun. I get that. But you have this privilege of knowing Christ and following Christ with your life. And think about what he did for you. We follow him out of a love relationship. Verse 17. Go there. These ceremonial Old Testament laws are a shadow of the things that are to come. They served a purpose. They were given for a reason, but they were not the end of themselves. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You can never live up to the requirements of the Old Testament law. Not all of them, no matter how good you were. You can't be good enough. The good news is this. You don't have to be. Somebody else already was. His name is. Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead and one day he's coming back again for you. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility disqualify you for the prize. Don't be deceived by people who say they love Jesus but they're filled with arrogance. Listen. Arrogance and Christianity are a contradiction in terms. If you say you love Jesus, but you're filled with arrogance and pride, you got a huge problem. Because following Jesus has nothing to do with arrogance and pride. It's about humbling ourselves before God and humbling ourselves before one another and serving. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. Don't be deceived by false humility. 
Don't be deceived by arrogance. And don't be deceived by anyone who devalues Jesus Christ. Verse 18 continues. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. If you want to know if some teaching might be false doctrine or even from a cult, check out what they believe about Jesus. If they believe that Jesus was merely equal with angels or the brother of Satan or a really good man but not God, don't you dare believe them. They're deceiving people with lies. They're, in many cases, deceived themselves. If people start trying to impress you by their knowledge of obscure Bible passages or their special connection with God that's greater than everybody else's, or their interpretation of Bible prophecy is off the charts, don't be impressed. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you want to impress people, do it by your genuine love and kindness and gentleness. And don't just do it for a select few. Make it a lifestyle. Everywhere you go, you're sharing the kindness of Christ. Everywhere you go, you're sharing the love of Christ. Everywhere you go, you're sharing the gentleness of Christ. And the hardest place to do that many times is at home, right? Sometimes Monique says, I wish you'd just treat me like a church member, okay? It's hard sometimes at home. And it's hard at work sometimes, right? Because you're there all the time. You don't always agree with one another. And it's a little stressful. But everywhere we go, whether at home, at church, at work, in the world, share the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the kindness, the character of Christ wherever you go. Make it a lifestyle. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world... Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? That's a good question. Since you died to the world when you gave your life to Christ, why do you worry so much about what the world thinks? Ultimately, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter how much money you have in the bank. It's not going to matter what kind of car you drive or what house you live in, or how many friends you got on Facebook, or how high you were able to climb up the ladder. All those things might be nice. But compared to knowing Jesus Christ, they are like manure, says the Apostle Paul. They're like nothing compared to knowing Christ. You see, life on this earth is less than a snap of the finger in time. But eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. May we be known as a people, as Terry and Sheila sang earlier, who'd rather have Jesus than anything else this world could ever give. May we be known as people who love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples, and people who are sharing the love of Jesus Christ intentionally, moment by moment,